You did all those things for yourself. That, none of that was for me. This is how deceitful pride is, guys. In our own personal devotion, pride is hidden. Okay, so the last time that I was here teaching with you guys uh, was literally last August. Um, and whenever I taught that lesson, I was focusing on uh, the mission, okay? So um, this lesson uh, is a little bit different, but it's going to tie back into the mission uh, that we have as Christians, okay? Um, but I just want to give a forewarning. Um, this lesson was really hard for me to write. Um, this lesson was very, uh, it was like a slap in the face. Uh, do you guys ever have those moments where you're like reading scripture and it's just like, oh my goodness, I just got slapped in the face. I feel like I'm the worst person in the whole wide world and I need to make changes immediately, right? Have you ever had that moment? Okay, yeah, I see some heads nodding. Okay, cool. Um, so that's literally what it was like for me as I was writing this lesson. Um, I've been sitting in this uh, passage of scripture for the past week now, and um, I've actually been afraid to, to read it because I knew I would have this experience. Um, but if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead, bless you, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 2. We'll be going through uh, all of chapter 2 and into the first 11 verses of chapter 3. So um, before we get started, I'm going to go ahead and pray one more time. Thank you, God, so much for this wonderful morning. Um, I thank you for uh, the opportunity to be able to be here at Evergreen and be able to speak to this wonderful ministry. Um, Lord, I just ask that you would speak through me, uh, that it would be not my own words or my own wisdom, Lord, but may uh, it be your words flowing through me, Lord. Uh, Father, your word does not return void, so I ask that uh, it would not fall on deaf ears this morning and uh, that we would actually take from your word and uh, sit in it and uh, chew on it, Lord, and contemplate on where we need to make changes in our own hearts, Lord. Um, Father, I just thank you so much for uh, the group of uh, college students that are, were at Spring Retreat this weekend. Lord, I ask that it was a great time and that you are moving in a mighty way. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Awesome. Okay, so um, I am a youth pastor at a small town church in Wewoka, Oklahoma. And um, one thing that I like to do uh, with my students is I get them to be invested in the lesson. So it's not just me up in front of them and uh, telling them, okay, so this is what the Bible says, but I want them to also interact and I want them to also partake in the word. So I'm going to ask you guys to do the exact same thing. I'm going to ask you guys uh, to volunteer to read some scripture. So do I have anyone? who is bold enough to read just a few verses. I saw Ethan. Okay, so Ethan, you're going to read uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, so uh, what I want to talk about here is we see that this passage says uh, encouragement in Christ, comfort in love, fellowship with the Spirit. Uh, my translation says affection and mercy. And then uh, Paul says, um, now make my joy complete. So fullness of joy. Okay, so we see all these ideas that come with possibly being a Christian, right? But how are we to attain encouragement in Christ? When we look to Christ, how are we supposed to be encouraged by him? Uh, how are we supposed to receive comfort in love? Like, what does that even mean? Um, how about fellowship with the Spirit? How, how do we find fellowship with the Spirit? And affection and mercy or fullness of joy? Like, how is this even possible to get to a point where we have fullness of joy, no matter what we're going through? How, how are we supposed to 
experience affection and mercy. Like, what is that from? Where is that going to? Like, do you guys understand that just from reading those first few verses? So that's the question we're going to be looking at today. So we're going to be trying to figure out what the formula is to get to a point where we can actually live in and live out finding encouragement in Christ, comfort and love, fellowship with the Spirit, affection and mercy, and fullness of joy. Okay? So first off, I want to tell us what is wrong, like the wrong formula. So it's not claiming these things. It's not saying, oh, I feel so affectionate right now, or I just want to show you mercy. It's not claiming something. And it's not saying uh, comfort and love. Hey, uh, I love my mom. Uh, so Taylor, you should love my mom too. Now, now, we're comf- now we're comforted. No, it's not loving uh, someone. It's not having a group of people just loving the same person. It's all pointing to one direction, okay? So verse, the wholeness of verse two. Uh, so it says in verse two, it says, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in the spirit, intent on one purpose, okay? So that's our main focus for this whole lesson is what is the intent on our purpose? What spirit are we united in? What is the same way of our thinking and what is our same love? Okay? The answer, I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. The answer is Jesus. Okay? It's super easy. Jesus is the answer to the formula. All these things. Okay? So now, let's look at verses 3 through 4. Anyone want to read that? Awesome. I got you. <clears throat> Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, guys. So um, this is literally telling us what not to do and what to do. Okay. So it's saying uh, don't be selfish, but be selfless. Don't be self-promoting, but be self-sacrificing. Okay. So I want to uh, point out um, an obvious group of people that we can look at uh, for this like understanding. So think of the disciples, right? The disciples are the men who followed Christ. They they walked with him in his ministry. They heard his amazing lessons, his teachings. Um, They saw uh, wonderful miracles. They saw all these amazing things. They saw Jesus heal people. They saw Jesus feed thousands of people. They saw Jesus do crazy things, right? Uh, So they were devoted to him. They went wherever he went. They slept wherever he slept. Uh, they experienced the persecution whenever he experienced the persecution. They were devoted to Jesus. But underneath all of their devotion was a secret sin of pride. Okay? So the disciples in multiple accounts are seen arguing about who was the greatest. Who would be considered higher in heaven? Who would uh, be Jesus' favorite? All these things, right? They also, um, in different accounts, like uh, in the Gospel of Mark. So I've been teaching through the Gospel of Mark with uh, the youth group that I'm uh, pastoring at. And uh, one of the lessons we talked about was when Jesus fed the 5,000. So in that account, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they journey across the sea to go to this land so that they can find time to rest. Because just before this uh, time where Jesus feeds the 5,000, Jesus' best friend, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded, okay? So his best friend has been killed. Jesus uh, had been in his hometown and teaching and healing and all these things, and his friends and family, they thought he was a crazy man, and they kicked him out. They said, you are not the Messiah. Get out of here. So now Jesus' best friend has been killed. Jesus' friends and family have kicked him out and told him he's crazy. And Jesus had sent his disciples out on a mission trip. And so Jesus was all alone. He's experiencing all these things and is probably feeling overwhelmed and exhausted and and just wants some time to rest with his brothers. So they journey across the sea. They go to this land. But the disciples, as they were out on their ministry, they have been telling people, hey, follow Christ. Follow Christ. Whatever you do, follow Christ. Give up pursuing all these selfish ambitions and follow Christ. So the disciples are telling people to follow Christ. So what happens when they get to this land? Well, everyone that the disciples have been telling to follow Christ have followed Christ. And they're there. They're waiting for Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? Is he frustrated? 
Is he mad? No. He looks at the crowd with compassion and he says, sit down. And so he starts teaching them. He has them all sit down and he starts teaching them. And now as it's getting late in the evening, his disciples, remember, Jesus had told them, we're going to go to this side of the sea and we're going to rest. Now, the disciples come to Jesus as it's getting late. And they're like, Jesus, send the crowds away. Send them into the villages. Let them go find something to eat for themselves. We can't provide for them. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, you guys provide for them. And they're like, how are we going to do that? Where are we going to find the money to feed like 5,000 people? That's impossible. Are you wanting us to go to the bank and pull out some extra coins and then uh, see if we can find the food in the surrounding villages to bring it to all these people? And Jesus says, no, what do we have? And then he ends up uh, feeding the 5,000 with just the few fish and few bread. Okay? So now the disciples have seen this amazing thing, but they missed it. They were seeing Jesus work, but they missed the beauty of it. So the thing I want to point out here is um, we're going to turn to Mark 6 really quick. Um, right here. Okay, so Mark 6, verses 51 through 52. I'll go ahead and read this one. It says this. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. Okay, so right there, Jesus and Peter had just been walking on the water because uh, Jesus had come out to them, and he's walking on the water, and he's like, hey, it's me, don't be afraid. And Peter's like, Jesus, if that's you, call me out there. And so Jesus says, come out. And, and Peter comes out and he starts walking on the water and he's like, Oh my goodness, this is crazy. And, and then he starts realizing that the storm is literally so crazy around him and he starts to freak out. And so he begins to sink and, and then he cries out, Lord, save me. Jesus saves him and pulls him back into the boat. Okay. Now it says right there, the disciples were astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. So the account of Jesus walking on water and rescuing Peter happened immediately after Jesus had fed the 5,000. So the disciples, they were being prideful in their obedience to do what Christ had told them to do. Jesus told them, you guys are going to provide for these people. So he ends up getting the, the loaves and the fish, and he hands it to his disciples. And his disciples go out and hands one, hands one, hands one to all these people. They end up feeding the 5,000. The disciples are obedient to do what Christ tells them to do. But they were doing it in a prideful heart. When you have a prideful heart, you can still be obedient to what Christ calls you to do. But here's the thing. You miss the beauty of Christ's work. If we are prideful in our devotion to Christ, we have a hardened heart. We're going to miss the wholeness of the work that Christ is doing. Yes, we'll get to be able to bless others in this service to Christ because when we are obedient to God, when we are obedient to what Christ tells us to do, other people will be blessed. Other people will get to see how Christ is providing. So even in our own sin and in our own pride, people can still learn and people can still grow in Christ. But it's us who are missing the blessing of having a humble heart. See, the disciples, they didn't understand about the loaves. They didn't understand about the fish. They were missing the beauty of a humble service to Christ. But then, whenever Jesus blows their mind again, walking on water, rescuing Peter, then they're astounded. Uh, right, after, uh, right after they're astounded, and it says that they didn't understand about the loaves, and another account in Matthew it says, then they proclaim, surely you are the Son of God. Surely you are the Messiah. And they bow down and start worshiping him. So see, guys, even in our pride, we can be obedient to Christ. But we're going to miss the beauty of humble service to him. But there is hope. When we still obey Christ, when we do what he calls us to do, we do have a chance to see just how awesome he is. 
we do have a chance to realize he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. The disciples in that moment humbled themselves. And they said, I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I had it all figured out. But Jesus, you blew my mind again. And they humbled themselves and they proclaimed him to be Christ. And they praised him. So I want you to think for yourself. Has there ever been a moment in your walk with God where you've served God, served that church, stepped out of your comfort zone and invited someone to church or done something because uh, no one else wanted to do it? But did you miss the beauty of humble service? Were you just doing it because you felt, well, Christ told me to do it, so I might as well do it? When we live that way, we're hardening our own hearts. We're saying, I, I don't want to see how Christ is working through this. Because service is just me serving others. I can literally stack up all these chairs and no one else is going to know. But guys, even when you're stacking up the chairs by yourself, Christ is being glorified. Christ is able to be displayed in that. Um, so now then, uh, that was the disciples before Pentecost. They ended up humbling themselves in that moment and proclaiming Christ to be Messiah and praising Him. And then after Pentecost, the disciples, their hearts are completely changed. They now are selfless. They're Rather than self-promoting themselves, they're self-sacrificing. They're willing to give themselves up. They're willing to die a, a martyr death for Christ. And every single time that they teach, every single time that they are out on mission, they're telling people, look to Christ. Look back to Christ. This is my testimony. I was a prideful person. I was out in God knows where doing all these horrible things. But Christ transformed me. Christ humbled me. And, and now I have the opportunity to share Christ with you. Christ saved me and he can save you. And in the midst of them proclaiming this message, they willingly sacrifice themselves for Christ. Okay, so um, the next thing I want to, bless you. Uh, the next thing I want to look at is um, the next set of verses, okay? So we've, we've got in verses 3 through 4, I just talked about how we can look at the disciples and see how they were previously prideful and they were self-promoting. But this scripture literally tells us, don't be that way. We are to be selfless and self-sacrificing rather than selfish and self-promoting. So who do we look to um, to see what we are to do? Well, anyone want to read uh, verses 5 through 11? Anybody? Brittany. did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Awesome. Thank you, Brittany. Okay, guys. So we see here, we're not to look at the disciples before Pentecost and say, well, we should just be like them. We should just follow Jesus, be devoted to him, and uh, aid in his ministry. No, we are to look to Christ and and see how he lived his life and, and then strive to live that way. The reason why I've titled this lesson A Christ-like Heart is because this is the whole purpose of being a Christian. When you are a Christian, when you give your, whenever you surrender to Christ, you're changed. Um, uh, in 2 Corinthians, it talks about this. Uh, we are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. The new has come. Okay? So now we see, uh, Christ he was in the form of God, but 
He humbled himself. He had every right to be the prideful one in this case. He had every right to say, you guys sin. So have fun. And, and then just allow us to all, uh, face our own devices and, and end up experiencing his wrath. But no, he loved us. He humbled himself. He came at, in the form of a man. He lived a perfect life, gave us an example to look at. And not only did he teach us lessons on how to live, not only did he prove that he was the perfect spotless lamb, he sacrificed himself to the point of death on a cross to make a way for us to have peace with God. So see, uh, the Bible says that those who are sinners, those who um, are not surrendered to God, we are enemies against God. And enemies cannot have peace. As we are actively sinning, as we are actively uh, living in rebellion against God, we're waging war with God. But the cool thing is, is God made a way. That way is Jesus. Verses 5 through 11 literally tells us this is the way. Christ humbled himself. Christ lived a perfect life. Christ gave himself. And what's cool in this, uh, this is just a really cool thing that I, th- I saw in verses 5 through 11, is we see the Trinity at work. Because when Christ came and sacrificed himself, when we surrendered to that, when we profess that uh, Christ is risen from the grave and he has conquered death, when we accept him into our life, we see the Spirit at work. But not only do we see the Spirit at work transforming us and renewing us and redeeming us, well, in verses 5 through 11, it talks about how now Christ is exalted. God has exalted Christ and every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. And then at the very end of uh, verse 11, it says, and all this is for the glory of the Father. The Spirit renewing us, Christ's exaltation, and God's glorification. Christ's humility brings about the trinity of perfection. Christ makes a way to save us. Christ is exalted and God is glorified. So in humility, God gets glory. In our prideful hearts, our hearts are just more hardened. But when we humble our hearts, God gets the glory. Okay, um, let's move on to uh, verses 12 through 18. Would anyone like to read that? Anybody? Awesome. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. To Uh, to 18, sorry. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Perfect. Okay, so guys, in verses 5 through 11, we see that we are to look to Christ. That was my first point for this whole lesson. We are to look at Christ uh, to understand where humility comes in. Okay? So now, we are to model Christ. Okay? So, um, it says right here, um, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything out of grumbling, uh, without grumbling or arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. Okay, so the world we live in is messed up. The world we live in is broken. 
Christ came, humbled himself, and died. Not so that we can be prideful and live with our golden ticket to heaven and just do everything to promote ourselves while we're here. No, he calls us now to be humble. He calls us now to serve him with our everything. He calls us now not to look for our self-promotion, but to look for Christ's exaltation and God's glorification and our transformation. Okay, so it says blameless and pure and faultless. Okay, so blameless, pure, and faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world, holding firm to the word of life. So Christ is telling us we are to now do the ministry. We are now to do the work of the ministry. In 2 Corinthians, it, it says that now we are ambassadors of Christ. We now have a responsibility of the ministry of reconciliation. We now have a job to do. When we give our lives to Christ, when we surrender to God, when we allow Christ to be Lord of our life, we now have a responsibility, and that's to make Him known. And so, um, when we are doing this, we can't just do it in our own might. We can't just do it in our own strength. I had a conversation uh, with a friend of mine uh, last Saturday. Uh, so Christian and I, we went to a coffee shop in Oklahoma City, and um, I had never been to this coffee shop before. And we walk in, and Christian's like, you're going to love this place. It's like so good. The coffee is like amazing. And and we go in, and Christian walks in, and he's like, uh, going to show me uh, how to like just vibe with this place. And then all of a sudden, as I'm stepping in, this guy out of nowhere is like, is that Roman James? And I'm like, Oh snap, who is this guy? And, and I, I look at him and I'm like, that didn't help. And, and so like, I still don't know who this guy is. And, and I'm like, Hey, man. And, and he's like, dude, how you been? And I'm like, I've been good. I've been good. And, and just trying to like make him not realize that I don't know his name. And, and then I'm like, by the way, this is my brother Christian. And then he was like, Oh, hey, how are you? And then he's like, Hi, my name's Ethan. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Whew, I got his name now. And, not you, Ethan. Sorry. Different Ethan. So uh, and then, uh, and then like he's like, Okay, well, I'm going to go sit back down and keep reading. Uh, but you guys enjoy your time. And then after that, uh, I turned to Christian and Christian's like, you had no idea who he was. And I was like, I had no clue, bro. <laughs> but anyway, uh, later on, I was doing my quiet time. I was writing a lesson for Sunday school, uh, for church. And then after that, uh, Ethan got up to use the bathroom and then he comes back and I'm like, Ethan, I'm going to intercept you. And he's like, yeah, what's up? And so I started talking to him and just asking him about where he's at in the ministry. Like what's going on? And he started telling me about how um, he's at a school in Oklahoma City, and um, the school that he's at, uh, the men could care less about God. The, the men are so invested in their sin that whenever Ethan shares uh, what Scripture says about the sin that they are partaking in, they blow him off. They say, it doesn't even matter. That doesn't connect with me. That doesn't relate to me. You know what? I don't even consider that to be true. All these things. And Ethan was getting burnt out. Have you guys in in the ministry, have you guys ever had that moment where you just feel like you're pushing so hard and it feels like God's not even working with you? I've had it. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I was at this church that I'm serving at, and and I I've been teaching all these lessons. I've been connecting them all back to the gospel, and I've been uh, proclaiming the gospel every single night. And every single time, it feels like my heart's out on the floor, and my head is uh, aching, and my back is sore, and my my lungs are just so tight because I'm just like presenting the gospel. And then at the end of the message, the students get up and they're like, hey, is this your heart? Stomp. And then they turn around and go and like cuss and, and fight and argue and all these things. And I was just like, Lord, what is happening right now? I feel like I'm pushing so hard and you're not with me. And the thing is, is when we experience burnout, it's because we aren't working with him. 
We're doing it in our own might. In that moment, whenever I was presenting the gospel and having this struggle, and I was like, Lord, why is this not connecting with these students? Why are they not uh, realizing the truth? It was because I wasn't even pursuing them in my own personal time. I would sit and I would write a lesson and then I'd go and preach it. But then, then the rest of my life, I was just like, yeah, I'll get to God in a minute. I got to finish up this last lesson uh, of like homework for school. I got to go hang out with friends now. I was doing all these things. Yes, I was still prioritizing my ministry. I would have the lessons prepared. But I was doing it in my own might and in my own strength because I wasn't resting in God. See, I was talking to Ethan, and he was sharing with me how he had the same situation where in his own personal walk, he wasn't resting in God. And it felt like he was actually fighting against God to do the ministry's work. Guys, that's not it. Christ has called us to the ministry, not so that we can fight against Him and try to do the ministry, but so that we can work with Him. Scripture says that we are now co-laborers with Christ. We are working alongside Christ. But first, we have to have our own personal walk with Christ. We can't just claim, okay, I've been saved, and now I'm going to go preach without resting in the Word daily, without drawing close to Christ, without abiding in His Word, without allowing Him to work in us. So I'm in a, I'm in a class at school, and this class is called um, Vocation and Calling. And uh, in Vocation and Calling, we've talked about spiritual disciplines. So some of the spiritual disciplines are like scripture memory. Some of them are daily Bible reading. Some of them are looking for opportunities of service, uh, different things like this. The reason why we do spiritual discipline is to open opportunities for Christ to work in us. See, if we just live our life completely ignoring the areas where Christ does work, then when are we going to ask him to work in us? If we're going to blow off, oh, I don't need to read my Bible today, when are we going to say, Christ, speak to me? If we're going to say, oh, I don't need to talk to God today, when are we going to say, God, hear my prayer? If we're not praying, he's not going to hear our prayer. If we're not reading, we're not going to hear him speaking. We have to have these spiritual disciplines to comfort us, to encourage us, to draw us close to Christ, to aid us in this ministry work. If we aren't drawing close to Christ in our own personal walk, then we're going to be burnt out in the public walk. We won't be able to do it. What we say doesn't make sense. People are just going to be glazed eyes when we present the gospel, and people are going to not receive it if we aren't personally devoted. So, in the first one, we look at Christ because the disciples, they were personally devoted to Jesus, but their personal devotion was for their self-promotion. We can't have our personal devotion be for our self-promotion. It needs to be self-sacrificing. Our hearts need to be humbled. We need to say, Christ, I'm not trying to build myself up. I'm not trying to make myself feel better. I'm not trying to look like I've got it all together. Because we don't. If we're honest with ourselves, we've got nothing together. We're falling apart right now. But Christ is still king. And Christ works things for our good. It says right here, um, if I can find it. Uh, the per Okay, yeah, right here. Verse 13. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. What's his good purpose? Our sanctification. We're falling apart. But if we draw close to Christ, he will stretch us. He will mold us. He will sanctify us. We have to have this personal devotion to Christ so that we can have this public ministry of Christ. Okay, um, let me see. Is there anything else I want to talk about? Oh, yeah. It says right here in uh, verse 16, By holding firm to the word of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run a uh, run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering on a sacrificial service for your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. 
In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. So it's saying right here, the ministry, the labor we are doing, when we are personally devoted to Christ, not for our self-promotion, but self-sacrificing, if we're doing it with a humble heart, if we're holding fast, holding firm to the word of life, resting in the word of God, if we are in tune with the Spirit, the work that we are doing is not for loss. We can actually boast in the day of Christ, for this labor is not for nothing. We can be poured out. We can pour ourselves out. We can give our everything to the ministry of Christ, having confidence that it's for good. That people are being transformed. That people are being changed. Why? Because we are being changed. We are being transformed. Okay, um, would anyone else like to read the next few verses? Awesome, Addy. Okay, so it's going to be, uh, it's quite a bit, sorry, it's 19 through 30. Yeah. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy was proved himself, has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you... Epaphrodi uh, Epaphroditus? My brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send to him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor, men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Awesome. Thank you, Addy. Okay, guys. So right here, uh, first point we had was we look to Christ. Second point is we model Christ. Third point is we are encouraged by those who are modeling Christ. Okay? So um, Paul is writing and he's saying, guys, I'm going to send Timothy and Epaphroditus and... Uh, I'm going to send them back to you because they're in tune with me. They uh, care about you. Uh, it says right here in verse 20, uh, I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. So he's saying, I'm going to send... Uh, I'm going to send Timothy to you guys, and uh, I hope that he is an encouragement to you, because he's also saying that now I hope in the Lord uh, Jesus to send Timothy to you uh, to be enc uh, encouraged by news about you. So he's saying, I'm going to send Timothy back to you guys. He's going to encourage you guys, and then he's going to come back to me, and I'm going to be encouraged by the news of you guys pursuing Christ. So we see this idea of being encouraged by others who are modeling Christ. So not only are we supposed to model Christ for ourselves, but now we are supposed to have others in our pursuit of Christ, modeling Christ right alongside us. Sometimes we'll be right with them, just like Paul and Timothy are together. They've been encouraging one another to continue on and to model Christ and to do the work of the ministry. But now he's sending Timothy back to go and encourage the rest of the church who are also modeling Christ, who are also doing the work of the ministry. The ministry takes place here where you guys are at in Tulsa. The ministry takes place over in Wewoka. The ministry takes place in Shawnee. The ministry takes place in Timbuktu. The ministry takes place all over the world. Wherever a Christian is, that is where the ministry is taking place or should be taking place. 
If we are a Christian, we are to have our personal devotion to Christ, not for self-promotion, but for Christ's exaltation and God's glorification. And when we have a heart that desires for Christ to be exalted and God to be glorified, then we will be sanctified. We are going to draw close to Christ and we're going to be on the mission all the time. We're going to realize that in our classroom settings at school, that's the mission field. We're going to realize in our living rooms at home with our family, that's the mission field. We're going to realize in the grocery store, getting the hot sauce, that is the mission field all over the place. You don't have to be uh, called by the church to be a missionary to be a missionary. If you're a Christian, you're a missionary. So when we look to other Christians, we should be encouraged. Every single time I hear or I read of a missionary doing the ministry, I get encouraged. Uh, there's this book that I read. It's called God Smuggler. And it's about this guy. His name was Andrew. And he traveled uh, into all the communistic countries uh, years ago. This was a long time ago. He traveled into all these communistic countries called the Iron Curtain. And he would smuggle in Bibles. And he would go and he would preach the gospel. And he would proclaim the good news of Christ. People were getting saved left and right. Whenever I read that biography, I was incredibly encouraged. I was like, oh my goodness, now I want to go and like raid the Iron Curtain and, and just <laughs> smuggle in some Bibles and, and go and tell the good news. When we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, that's how we should feel. We should feel encouraged and spurned on to continue on in the work of the ministry. When I look at Jacob, I see how he is partaking in the work of the ministry. When I look at Hannah, I see how she is partaking in the work of the ministry. And I get excited. Not always. I'll be honest. Not always. I, sometimes I'm like, Jacob, you're really annoying me right now. <laughs> but in the real honest moments, whenever Jacob and I are intentional to talk about what God is doing in our lives, it gets me amped up and excited. There's been several days where Jacob and I are just sitting in our tiny kitchen in my apartment and we're brewing some coffee and we're just like, oh my goodness, dude, can you believe that God just did this? Like, we we talk about Evergreen like all the time. I don't even know why, but we do. Uh, we talk about Evergreen all the time and we're just like, oh my goodness, like God is just growing Evergreen. God is like working in the people of Evergreen. Like, I'm just getting so excited. Like, we talk about reach all the time. We talk about uh, prayer breakfast all the time because it's what God is doing. When we see God at work in others, we get encouraged. So whenever you see Ethan, whenever you see Caleb, are you encouraged by what God is doing in him? Exactly. Guys, that's what we are supposed to do. We're supposed to find encouragement in seeing others modeling Christ, but not only seeing others modeling Christ, but seeing Christ working in them. Okay, um, we've got one more set of verses, okay? Um, would anyone like to read uh, verses 1 through 11 of chapter 3? Anybody? Okay, I'm going to call on someone. Oh, you got it? Awesome. Write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Jesus Christ. And put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I had, I count as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, guys. So right here, 
we see we rejoice. But why do we rejoice? Not because of our own personal devotion to Christ, not because of uh, the ministry we're doing for Christ, but because of Christ in us. We rejoice because it's not us doing the work, it's Christ in us doing the work. It says right here, um, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. Okay, so right here, it's saying it's not us that are doing the work, it's Christ in us. But Paul says, but if you guys think it is really you doing the work, well, let me just tell you this. It's not anything that we do, because in the flesh, I have every right to be confident. In the flesh, I have every right to say, oh yeah, I've got it all together. Uh, I'm a Jew by birth. I'm a Pharisee by law. I uh, literally persecuted uh, the church. I did all these things in the name of God. <coughs> so in all actuality, like to the Jews, I'm literally the most perfect person you can find. But he's saying it's none of these things. It's not our personal devotion that gives us a reason to rejoice. Because seriously, we can memorize scripture. We can have chapters upon chapters of scripture memorized. But just because we have scripture memorized doesn't mean we have a right to rejoice. Just because we have saved 150 people in the name of Jesus Christ doesn't mean we have a reason to rejoice. It's not us who are saving people. It's Christ who's saving people. Yes, we are co-laborers with Christ. We have the ministry of reconciliation. We have the blessing of sharing Christ with others. But our words aren't the ones saving. It's Christ who's saving them. Christ paid the way, and Christ is the way. We have now received Christ, so that is why we rejoice, because it's Christ in us. He changed us, He transformed us, He redeemed us, He renewed us, and He encourages us to now go on in the ministry. We rejoice not because of the work we do, but because of Christ in us and what He has done and is doing. Um, he says, uh, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, uh, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider uh, them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So a passage in Isaiah talks about all the righteousness of man is but filthy rags compared to God. So even our pursuit of Christ, all the things that we do, uh, all the ministry work that we do, all of it, whenever we are trying to say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm working for you. I'm serving you. I'm doing all these things. If we're doing all these things to say, well, this is why I'm saved because I do these things. I have these extra fruits that I bear for God. Well, that's us trying to self-promote ourselves. That's us trying to guarantee that we are saved. That's us trying to say, God, I'm pleasing you. Here's my sacrifices. I'm willing to commit uh, coming to church early to prepare uh, for uh, reach in the mornings. I'm, I'm willing to uh, cart out the coffee makers. I'm willing to uh, go and shake hands and say good morning to people. I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone and do all these things for you, God. So surely you're going to accept me. Matthew, in the book of Matthew, it says there were people who will cry out, Lord, Lord. And Jesus is going to say, turn away, for I did not know you. And then they're going to say, but didn't we do the work for you? Didn't we uh, proclaim your name? Didn't we serve people for you? And Jesus will say, no, you didn't. You did all those things for yourself. That None of that was for me. This is how deceitful pride is, guys. 
in our own personal devotion, pride is hidden. This is why we need a Christ-like heart. Because our heart is deceitful. Our heart is of the flesh. And even as we are doing all these things for God, we can disguise it to make it look like praises. And in our heart, it's actually curses to God. Because we're doing it for ourselves. We have to consider all these things that we do as loss. Paul says as dung. The only thing we rejoice in is Christ in us. That's the only thing that matters. So when we do the work of the ministry, we're testifying of what He's done in us. When we do the work of the ministry, we're exalting Christ above us, saying He's the only one that matters. When we do these things, when we testify of what He's done in us, when we exalt Christ to be above us and almighty and all-wonderful, well, then God will be glorified. That is the work of the ministry. God will be glorified. I hope this is making sense. See, we are changed because of Christ's work in us. And we can testify of this. This is a good news. But we can't say, well, because I've been changed whenever I was saved, I'm done now. No, to continue on. We're to continue to draw close to Christ. We have to hold firm to the Word. We have to wear this responsibility, bear this cross, and share Christ with others. This is the ministry. This is the harvest. See guys, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Why? Because most of the workers have a hardened heart. Most of the workers have a prideful heart that is doing things for themselves to promote themselves. That is doing things for themselves in selfish ambition and vain conceit. We need to have an honest conversation with God. Crying out, Lord, soften my heart. Humble me. We have to humble ourselves, making ourselves nothing, that Christ be everything. This is what He calls us to do. Christ not only is going to work through you, He's going to work in you. So I want you guys to think on this. In your own personal walk, are you seeing Christ work in you? And are you seeing Christ work through you? Hey guys, this is Philip Jackson, pastor of Young Adults at Evergreen Baptist Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at Evergreen Church in South Tulsa, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. The mission of Reach Tulsa is to cultivate a young adult community that's defined by real transformation and a sincere pursuit of a godly life through training in biblical disciplines, personal development, and intentionally transitioning into independence as mature members of the body of Christ. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Reach Young Adult Ministry is a part of Evergreen Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org.